Today we are uh, thinking about true beauty. Uh, you can, I don't know if you connected all that, but you can think about what is truly beautiful from up there. Um, you know, what do you find beautiful? What pops for you? What, uh, what springs out of your mouth when you're going down the road? What do you say? Man, that's, that's really beautiful when you're going through, through your day. Um, recently I was listening to a TED Talk. Uh, I know most, most people probably watch TED Talks, but I listen to TED Talks on, on NPR occasionally. And this, uh, this lady, her name is Car- uh, Cameron Russell. She's a, uh, she's a model. She was talking about beauty during one of the, uh, one of the TED Talks. I'd, I'd really recommend you go, go watch it. It's a, a lot of interesting things she has to say. But, but she was uh, talking about how the fashion industry, you think it's about beauty, but she, she said, you know, along the way in my 10 years of being in the fashion in the industry, nobody's ever asked me what I thought. Nobody has posed a question to me, you know, what did you study when you went to college? She said, about all the skill that I have is the ability to turn my head and to walk as if all of my closest friends are following me and to be able to do it about 300 times in a, in a photo shoot. So I thought about trying to show you what that looked like and then I thought, I probably better not. That probably wouldn't be very beautiful. Just go online, look at her TED Talk, take it in. So she's thinking about beauty, and she's thinking about the place that where she lives and, and works in this world. And she, she says in sort of her, in her uh, fullness of thinking about it, you know, she's like, uh, they say I'm beautiful because I'm a, a skinny white girl in America, but there's got to be more to beauty than just that. She never really gets around to saying it, but she sang it by all the things that she's ruminating about, and thinking about, and talking about. There's more to me than just what meets the eye, and more to me than whatever gets put on, you know, a, a magazine cover or in a, in a, uh, some other place. What is beauty? She's searching for it. She's longing for it. She wants to express it. What do you find beautiful? As I was thinking about this, uh, this time together today, I was walking up uh, a mountain, going up to overlook the James River, and alongside of me, probably 50 yards away, there was a deer running through the woods. And I turned and I watched that doe as she, she walked, and then she noticed that I was there, and then she took off. And went for a run. And I think there's beauty there. Or there was one Sunday morning where it was cold outside and the sun was shining. And I turned onto, onto Division Street. And I looked up in one of our neighbor's trees. There was a bald eagle perched atop of the tree. Looking out over the entire landscape. And I began to think that, that is beautiful. There's something majestic about seeing an eagle perched up there. What kinds of things do you find beautiful? You can, you can shout them out. 
Um, maybe today you'll find it beautiful if Peyton Manning throws a touchdown or two. That might be beautiful. It might fit your definition of beauty. Anybody else got something that's beautiful? They see, they notice. Sunrises. Sunsets. A child's face. The Super Bowl. Laughter. Yeah. Even in, uh, I think Pastor Jim's probably had this experience. Uh, sometimes, even at, at the end of a funeral, or when you celebrate someone's life, they, people will say, you know, that, this was a beautiful day, or it was a beautiful expression of their life. Or Beauty comes in all kinds of places. It, it pops up in places, and we, we give expression of beauty all over the place. C.S. Lewis suggests in, in his book, uh, The Great Divorce, that one of the reasons we give expression to beauty is because God, when, when He made us, He put beauty within us, or He put the ability to notice beauty, to speak about beauty, to long for beauty, um, to create beautiful things. God put that within us because He put His, his imago Dei, his, his image of Himself within us. And so when God put His image upon us, and within us, one of the things that we see God doing in the opening pages of Genesis, when God creates the world and he does all of this work, and then at the end of the day, you know, at the end of the day, when he's getting ready to rest, the writer says that God looks out on his work, on his creation, and he says, it is good. Or you could say he's saying, it is beautiful. This is, this is tremendous what I've made. And so because we share in the image of God, we have the capacity to speak things, uh, to speak about things as being beautiful. And we have the capacity to long for, for beauty in our own world. We have the capacity to long to create beautiful things. If you've ever gotten to the end of your day and you've been working on something and it just isn't right, you know there's, um, well, maybe, maybe you're able to, to put it aside and go to bed and go to sleep and, and just let it rest. But some of us are like, no, we... We need to get this right because there's something that we long for. There's something deep down within us that we can't, we can't walk away from. This is supposed to be beautiful, and it's just not there yet. That longing for beauty, Lewis says, is something that God places within us. And we long for it. We thirst for it. And then Lewis, along with speaking about the nature of beauty, says that many of us get in trouble because... We accept things that are not quite there yet, or they're not truly beautiful as God would have them be. They're not fully complete. In fact, Lewis says, oftentimes we get into trouble because our passions are strong, but they're not strong enough. As we've been going through the life of Samson in this series on, on being lured, we notice that Samson is lured by beauty. Lots of Girls come along Samson's route, and Samson finds them beautiful to a point. And so he ends up um, embarking on storylines with a, a number of different people, seeking something. What is it that Samson's seeking? Samson's seeking beauty, but he's, he's seeking satisfaction. He's seeking all kinds of things, but he never quite finds it. Last week, Pastor Bob took us almost to the end of Samson's life in chapter 16 of Judges when he, sh he showed us that after 
Delilah turns Samson into the authorities and she's cut her hair. There's that film where Samson uh, is is told, you know, take one last look at Delilah because she's the last thing you're going to see. And then Samson's eyes are gouged out. And in verse 21 of chapter 16, the writer of Judges says that the Philistines take Samson and they take him to a to a grindstone. Have you ever talked about your work as a I gotta get back to the, the grind? Um, Samson just doesn't have to get back to the grind at the end of his life. That's the fullness of his life. He's stuck at a grindstone where they bring wheat or barley and they put around the grindstone and they tell him to push it. Push it around as if he's an ox or a mule or a donkey. Move that stone and grind this grain for the consumption of somebody else. Samson's life in that moment is anything but beautiful. It is is a tragedy. It's a tragedy that that makes Shakespeare just want to want to say, I wish I could write a story that's as good as that. It is a tremendous tragedy. And yet, the tragedy doesn't end, because in verse 22, the writer says that Samson's hair begins to grow. They shaved it once, but they didn't shave it twice. And as Samson is at that grindstone... I would imagine that he does something that a number of us do from time to time. Is he begins to question, what was this life supposed to be like? I don't think I was supposed to end here. This isn't what I was made for. What was I made for? If you want to find out what Samson was made for, you have to go back to the start. When I was thinking about that, that line, back to the start, I thought about Willie Nelson's. Um, song that he did with a Chipotle commercial. Anybody see that? If, if you want to, if you just want a fun little two-minute thing to watch, you know, go to YouTube today and, and put in Back to the Start, Willie Nelson, you'll find a f- fun little story about how Chipotle does their, their meat production. Anyway, y- you can see that. That's not relevant to this. Um, <laughs> sorry, a little bit of rabbit trail. Um, So you go back to the start, and there's a reason, a purpose for Samson's life. It starts off like this. The Israelites, the writer tells us, the Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. His wife was barren, having borne no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Although you are barren, having borne no children, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now be careful not to drink wine or strong drink or eat anything unclean. So for you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor is to come on his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from birth. It is he who shall begin to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. You see right there in verse 5, there's a, a picture into what Samson's life is supposed to be like. When he's born, when his mom gives birth to him, he is a couple of things. Number one, he's a great joy in the life of 
of Manoah, his dad, and his unnamed mother. Because they've longed for a child, they've longed for a family. So he's, he's an answer to the Lord's prayer. And then verse 5 says is that Samson is supposed to begin the process of bringing freedom and liberation to his people. Because they're at this moment in their life and in their trajectory where they're under, they're under, um, they're under the hand of the Philistines. And when we say under the hand of, it means like they're, they're being oppressed by. And, and they're not free. And they're, they're not able to worship God as they wish. And they're not able to, to move around their country as they wish. Because they've got to watch out because the Philistines oppress them in, in a thousand different ways. And so Samson's life is to be a life of, of producing joy in the life of his family. And it's supposed to be a life of beginning to, to uh, bring in freedom and liberation to his people. His mom is, is somebody who goes unnamed in this story. But his mom is somebody who tells Samson this story over and over and over again. She tells him the story about how she was barren. She tells him the story about how God answered prayer. And she points out in Samson's life how we are, we are a people who have been waiting for, for someone to come along and, and bring about the goodness of God. We've been waiting for somebody to lead us, for somebody to be a, lib, a liberator for us. We've been waiting. And as Samson's mom and his dad raise him, they tell him the stories about God. And then in verse 24, it says, after Samson gave birth to him, go to verse 25 here. Samson goes out into this place between two cities, between Zor and Eshtol in his home country. And in that place, the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. And not only did Samson hear stories of what God had done in the past, did he hear stories about God's promise to his mom and his dad, not only did he hear stories and see all of of what might be pointed out, the Spirit of God began to work in his own life. And he began to speak to Samson. And Samson began to know what his purpose was. But somewhere, somewhere between having the Spirit speak with him and interact with him, somewhere between that and the opening pages of chapter 14, Samson takes this train off the tracks. And a, a beauty, a minor beauty, a Philistine girl down by the river catches his eye. And the sense of purpose, the sense of calling, the sense of a, of a dream, he takes it and he puts it to the side. All of the ways that he's, he's walked, he puts to the side and he says, I think I'm going to pursue a different path. And so it starts with a Philistine girl and then it starts with uh, seeking revenge on people who destroy that life. And then, it, and then it moves to Delilah's home. And this guy who nobody has quite been able to figure out why he's so strong gets his hair cut and his strength is gone. And here he is, pushing a stone day after day after day wondering, what was my life supposed to be like? John Piper, a few years ago, speaking to a number of college students, 
said, it's not only Samson who asked that question. What was my life supposed to be like? Piper was at a stage in his own life in ministry where he had talked to all kinds of, of different people, heard their stories, listened to, to their trajectory in life. And he said to these college students, he said, you know, I've got all kinds of people who come to the place in their life, it's almost like a midlife crisis, where they're just... They're in this place of mediocrity. They've achieved whatever they thought was the American dream, the middle class dream, but everything is just sort of mediocre. He said, I, I begin to go back with those folks and I say, what were your dreams like when you were young? What did you have passion for? What did you think about? What did you dream about? What, was, what gave you joy in life? What stirred your heart and your passion? He said a lot of people, when they were young, they had the capacity to hear God in unique ways. They had visions of doing great things in this world for Christ. They were reading their scriptures, and it seemed like the word... Uh, of, of the pages of the Bible just leapt off the pages and would speak to them. And, and it was like God called them to a great adventure. But somewhere in the midst of that call to a great adventure and a dream and a passion and, and all of those things, they find themselves a little like Samson. And their train goes off the track. In fact, Piper talks about how one of the things that he's, he was able to watch and experience is how a lot of people have this sense of calling, and then they encounter, uh, they encounter or they enter into some kind of sin. And Piper says oftentimes it's, it's some kind of sexual sin that takes the, the train off the tracks. And so then they wake up one morning, and they go, how could I, how could I go and embark on this dream, this vision that God has for me when I am the person who I am? And so the dream fades, and the dream dies. Or maybe it doesn't die, but it just goes off into the corner. There's enough, well, a lot of failure that gets bundled up in that capacity. So Piper, speaking to college students, says, I want to tell you how to handle that. I want to tell you how to address that so that when you're in the, the middle part of your life or the latter part of your life, you don't just wake up thinking, oh, no, I've got to go back to the grindstone. He said the thing that, that frees us when we're at that place, the thing that can revive our sense of passion is when we confess where we get off track. And we come back to the person of Christ and we realize we realize that Jesus has a dream, and the dream is something that he has. This dream that Samson was supposed to have, this dream of being someone who could lead and liberate his people, God still has that dream because God sees everybody. God knows the people who are like his mom out there in the wilderness, waiting for, a, for somebody to come alongside of them, waiting for somebody to, to move back the hand of the Philistines. God has this dream, and it still exists. 
See, God's dream is always bigger than just us. God's dream of what he wants to do in this world includes us making an impact and touching and blessing and being a servant to all kinds of other people. Samson had missed it. But at that place of the grindstone, which is very much like the place where his mom at when his mom was barren. You see, both of them were empty-handed. His mom was barren, no child. Samson at the millstone is barren. He has no capacity to see. Yet in the barren places where people begin to question about why I'm here and what I'm doing, God seems to speak. God draws near. God intersects that place. And if we have ears to listen, God starts to raise up that dream. He brings that dream that was on the shelf and he brings it back into sight. And he says, if you will walk with me, this sense of purpose that you were called to will be made alive in you again. In fact, things that you never could have imagined will be made alive in you again. My question for you this morning is not as what's your dream right now today, but what were the dreams of your youth? What made your heart pulse? What made you salivate after God? What did God plant in, in you that somewhere along the way, maybe it was busyness, maybe it was all kinds of stuff that came in and crowded it out, maybe it was some sort of failure, you failed yourself, you failed somebody else, but you just took that dream, you said, I don't think I can do this. Maybe it was even something else that came along the way. I want to share with you one of my dreams this morning. As that comes up, also, I want to encourage you to, um, in your pews, there are some sticky notes. And if you had some dreams when you were young, I'd encourage you to, to write that out on a sticky note. We'll, we'll do something with that in just a little bit. Um, and if you're at Renovate today, uh, you don't have any sticky notes, but you're going to be able to write some dreams on a, another sheet of paper. So just hang on. Think about your dreams over at Renovate. But if you're here... Take a sticky note. There's sticky notes at the end, or you can pass them along. See if you can make a pass to somebody else in your pew. Um, share some sticky notes. This was one of my dreams when I was 16 years old. I didn't buy a car. I bought a tractor. Now, it didn't look like that when I bought it. Um, this was two or three years ago. And this, I bought this tractor when I was 16 because I thought I was going to farm with my dad for a while. But I didn't, um, I didn't stick with that plan. God had other plans. And he, he came alongside of me and he said, hey, how about the ministry? And so I embarked on the ministry. And I thought that a car would probably be more helpful than a, than a tractor. So I sold the tractor and, and bought a car. And then I lamented that, that, that decision for a long time. It's like, but I, I continued to see that tractor. And then the tractor went from being a tractor that worked to being a tractor that didn't work, and for, I don't know, probably a dozen years, it never ran, it didn't move, it looked awful. When it's at this point in my life, it finally 
runs, but it still looks like death warmed over. And I remember being a 16-year-old boy out in a field thinking, what did this tractor look like when it was new? Wouldn't it be incredible to see it sparkle and shine and look beautiful again? Well, with the thanks or with the help of some friends, um, that tractor began to look like this. It always looks better with a couple of girls like that up on it. But that tractor became a, not only a, a thing in my life, like a dream that, that I never imagined could come true, but it began to be a metaphor. Because along the way, there were other dreams, other dreams that God brought alongside of me and, and into my life that would occasionally have to be put on the shelf or put aside. And as this tractor underwent a restoration, there were things in my own heart and in my own soul that seemed to come out. And God brought not just mechanics, but he brought other people who are wise in the ways of the heart and soul. And he began to speak into my life. He began to say, what is really in there? What's been in there for a long time? What was the holy word that was spoken into your life that you've, you've not been living into? You see, I think every one of us Every one of us can be there. And when Samson's at that grinding stone, God starts to speak. And Samson, for the first time in his adult life, begins to pray and respond to the Lord. When the Philistines bring him out to make fun of him. Samson, for the first time, takes into his hands an act that will be for his people, not just for himself. And he begins to live and die into the mission that the Lord had called him to do. And at the end of chapter 16, the writer will say that his brothers and his family take Samson's body back and they bury him in the land between those two towns where he lived as a young man where the spirit spoke with him the writer says true beauty comes about when you come to that place in life where you are at rest with God when you are at rest with God 